while uh, I live in pages 86 to 88, I got to ask for help every moment. I got to ask for inspiration. I got to, on awakening, you know, thank you. You know, I'm somewhat in my right mind, right? Because I know I, <laughs> I'm a bit off, you know, just being an alcoholic alone. But the fact that I could just ask and be vigilant, be present, and not be so reactive, showing up for AA, you know, and that's what matters to me. That's what my purpose is. If, even if I'm at work, if I'm at a grocery store, kindness is the way to be. I mean, I'm just going to say it, that that's where you're winning. Just responding in a loving way in which I believe love is a conglomerate of many variations of principles in which Alcoholics Anonymous has introduced me to. And if I could present that to the best of my ability, I'm doing the right thing. I heard it through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour, featuring the collected voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. <laughs> Hiya, Sam. You know, I said Greensboro, not Greensboro, which is how we say it here. Are, are you working on that mush mouth? <laughs> Working on it. That their Southern thing that you and I tend to have in common. <laughs> you know, my son has been visiting me recently. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was just great to have him here. He's a, an adult and he's not an alcoholic. When I got sober, he was like five years old. So he's about 57 now? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> he's in his early 30s. Oh, oh, you've been sober since Methuselah. I mean, you know, (laughs) he doesn't remember me drinking. He's not an alcoholic. Neither is my wife. And he was here for two weeks. It was great to be around him and to see him and to go out to dinner. We had lots of wonderful conversations. We have the greatest relationship. It's such a joy to be with him. It's such a joy to be with an adult version of someone who kind of thinks like me, <laughs> which is an unusual thing. It's It was just great. But the, but it was a, for sad reason he was here. It was a, at the end, perhaps, of a long-term relationship. And so he was really broken up, and he, he came really just to get away. So, you know, he was here. My wife got a six-pack when he first got here, and he left at the end of the two weeks and he never even opened one. I'm taking that wasn't a six pack of tonic water. No, it was beer. And he never, I don't know. It's like at one point I was thinking at the beginning of the two weeks period, you know, he was really broken up and having a hard time emotionally. And I was thinking, boy, what, what you need is you're not an alcoholic. You could have a drink to, you know, process this and relax. And I thought that's really what he needs. Totally what he needs because it's a solution, right? Yeah, it's a solution. You know, I, he's not an alcoholic, but I think this proves I'm an alcoholic because his answer was to go for long walks in the park enjoying the beautiful spring that's blooming up. What did you do to this boy as a child? You you damaged him. That is (laughs) not how, that's not healthy. It doesn't seem right, does it? 
<laughs> Absolutely. No, I cannot believe that you allowed that to happen. Well, it was amusing to me. And I shared that at a meeting recently and people started sharing all kinds of stories about wanting other people to drink. Somebody said that it was a birthday at a restaurant and the waiter brought the person a, a shot of tequila and he was alcoholic. He's going, no, I don't want it. And there were two people who were there, significant others that were not alcoholics. And everybody was saying, you can have it. You drink it. No, I don't want it. And going, well, it's free. You can. I'm it's it's free. It's alcohol. You don't waste alcohol. <laughs> Golly. That's funny. Yeah, I, I get it. It doesn't matter how long I've been sober. Sometimes I still think like an alcoholic. <laughs> Don, you always think like an alcoholic. It's just you're, you're generally <laughs> thinking like a recovered alcoholic. Yeah. And why is that, Sam? <laughs> um, I, it might have something to do with the fact that you've worked the steps a bit, maybe like kind of <laughs> aligned your life with our program of recovery, uh, joined the, the fellowship uh -huh. and really jumped in, found a way to be of service to the other people in this world. Um, Go on. You can stop, stop me anytime. <laughs> <laughs> It's all those things. Yeah. And who knows which one if I take one of them away? Because I don't know. There could be trouble in my life. And it's clear that it still comes to me that alcohol could be a solution. If it weren't for the fact that I'm an alcoholic, I'd get drunk every night. <laughs> Done. We're moving along. Don, today's <laughs> guest is Chase C. from Fairfield, California. And afterwards, we'll answer a question sent to the Ask It Basket. Oh, goody. Yeah, we're going to have some fun today. Hey, Sam, how can I support the AA Grapevine podcast? Since The Grapevine is self-supporting, we don't sell ad space in our magazines, on our website, or even in our podcast. Grapevine doesn't even accept contributions from AA members. What? If you want to support this podcast, visit aagrapevine.org and click on store. Chase. I'm a real alcoholic calling in from Fairfield, California. Great to be here with you all. What is a real alcoholic? Well, I'm one that has a three-part situation here. You know, I have a physical allergy, a mental obsession, and a spiritual malady. One thing about it is I know for sure drinking is a solution, and it was a solution for me. Once I take that drink, I didn't know this, but there's a phenomenon of craving that takes place. And one thing about it is I can't crave it until I take that first drink. So I mustn't take that first drink. Yeah. Yeah, I've got to keep that obsession at bay so that it doesn't kick in and that first drink becomes a reality. And it's funny, like, I like this concept of that space in between the terrible cycle in which, like, there's a space in between that obsession and that physical reaction that keeps me from picking up the first drink and which has expanded in time and it continues to. That's what I love most about Alcoholics Anonymous and being in the middle as someone here has shared. That space in the middle is the place where the obsession is thinking that, oh, he's not an alcoholic. He can drink 
as a solution. <laughs> this obsession to drink remains and shows up rarely the longer I've been sober, but still shows up. And that space is what you're talking about. Yeah, that space. And what's interesting is like, that's where the solution can kick in for me. The only thing is I have to identify that I'm in the obsession. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, oh, wait, wait, I see what's going on. And then I can like readjust myself. There's another thing that pops to mind as soon as you started talking about that space in between. And it's like God is in that space. That's where whatever God is shows up is in that place where a lot of times it's easy. You know, if the thought pops into my mind that to drink would be a, a good idea, it's easily dismissed. But pretty much all of us experience some point when that thought comes into mind and it's not easily dismissed. And that's where the various tools, that's where God has to show up in my life in particular. I cannot make this not happen on my own. I need some help. How can I get rid of this thinking? And usually it involves focusing on someone else. Say a little prayer, make a phone call, change your thinking. Absolutely. It's funny though, like something could happen and I have commitments, which always keeps that at bay in what we're talking about. You know, just because I'm going through something or just because like, let's say I got in a breakup or whatever, I'm not going to not go to my commitment. <laughs> Right. It's like, no. And one thing that Alcoholics Anonymous has taught me is how to show up. Like, especially if I said I could do it, show up for it, do it. (laughs) Right. The greatest thing I remember 12 step and someone, but I ended up getting 12 step. Right. It's it's amazing how that works out. And they had said this line. It was just, and I always will remember it. They said, do the right thing regardless of how you feel. And it's like those feelings in which, you know, I can get completely ensued with. Um, and wish the things that, which drives me, but I always have to remember what's the right thing to do. What's the loving thing to do? And that's what kind of keeps me in the forefront there. You know, I'm not, I'm not perfect. Don't want to be. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and it's like just showing up in the moment, you know, and being able to exemplify these loving attributes in which AA has showed me in the principles and all 36 of them and how to be, you know, and I'm able to exhibit love in real time. I don't trust my feelings. <laughs> yeah. So you just said something interesting. These principles, all 36 of them, it sounds like that might be three groups of 12. And, you know, I like to even give a subsection of those, especially with concept 12, <laughs> knowing that there's six warranties in there. So I'll say there's the subsection of that concept. And today I'm sponsored, I would say, by a three legacy sponsor who really introduced and expanded my life and introduced me to the traditions in a grand way, and as well as the concepts and how to integrate that into my life, um, you know, in all aspects, in all of my affairs, right? You know, step 12 became more profound. And I began to realize that, hey, this ain't even about me. Yeah, I've worked at 12 steps, which is for me to rid of myself, like, yo, get over yourself, basically, mm-hmm. and begin show up and be there for others and be be selfless. Can you give an example of where something came up in your life in the last bit? You could see that there was that space between the desire to drink or the desire for someone else to drink and the program showing up for you, all the things that you're talking about becoming active in your life. Yeah, right now. You know, I'm in that space and I have six years and there's this space where life is good. (laughs) 
I've actually, I'm doing things in which I've always wanted to do. Um, I'm gaining things, materialistic things. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to school for my master's. I'm, you know, I, I finally got a girlfriend, which is really my first true committed relationship because why? I was monogamously challenged, <laughs> right? And, you know, the girlfriend I'm with now, I was like, you know, this is my very first real relationship um, <laughs> where I'm actually trying to be loving, have a healthy relationship. Thinking of others. <laughs> Thinking of others. <laughs> alcoholic, so it's kind of challenging there because she's trying to understand this whole AA thing. But other than that, I would say I'm now in a place where my time management and it's like making sure I'm not putting AA on the back burner. I must get to a meeting. Like, you know, my home group, for example, that I had, it was a committed group that I went to. My work schedule had changed. I got promoted. And of course I went for it. And I found myself being less and less in meetings. And I'm currently now where it's like, okay, I need to get to a meeting. My mind can tell me like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You know, and that's that alcoholic thinking. But one thing about it is showing up, you know, I have a sponsor, you know, I have sponsees um, and continuing to show up and doing the right thing regardless. Making sure that there's this, I hate the word balance, but that I'm making sure I'm not neglecting things and having so much time in one area, but I'm neglecting other areas in my life. And that's where I am today. And it is challenging. I'll be honest. I just had a visual pop to mind and I'm not sure that it's the right one, but spinning plates, you know, probably my life at one point was trying to spin three dozen plates and that's not manageable. But today I have my recovery and my personal relationship um, with my husband. I've got my friendships. I've got my professional uh, work. I've got the education, the things that I'm learning now. And I have to give each one of them the attention due. Keeping those plates spinning means that I've got to like give them attention when they need it, not after they're wobbling and about to fall. <laughs> I love the image and thank you for that because that's it in a nutshell. And what's great is that recovery is giving me that ability because in, in my cups, right, in my illness, um, all I'm focused about is me. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't care <laughs> whether or not I'm giving you the time, you know, holding a job or anything like that. And it's like the responsibility is very great. Um, and on top of even the responsibility statement, you know, I am responsible when anyone anywhere reaches out for help. I want the hand of AA to be there. And I have to prioritize. Like I let my girlfriend know, like, yo, my first love is recovery. It is Alcoholics Anonymous. I wouldn't be here present with you without it. <laughs> uh, and I have to consider, well, how does that make her feel? Uh, of course, there may be a bit of jealousy. There may be a bit of insecurity. You know, being a caretaker for my mother, you know, that's another bear. It's like everyone's vying for attention from me. And it's being able to make sure I put myself first <laughs> and not put all my attention in these areas. And I would tell my sponsor, like, I'm having a hard time here. Um, yeah. I remember telling my wife in my first year that I've got to go to AA meetings and I need to go on a regular basis. And I understand that conflict because here she's been trying to get me sober for uh, years 
then I go to AA and all my focus is on AA and staying sober. And she's going, well, what about me? I've been trying to help you get sober all this time. And she was very supportive of me getting sober and being in AA. But what I did was I talked to her in terms of there's, if I say I have to go to a meeting, that means I've got to go right now. And I want to go to a meeting means you can say, could you go tomorrow because we want to do this thing or I need you to do this. So she's not walking on pins and needles going, he's going to get drunk if he doesn't go to a meeting in the next instance. Don, I'm over here stifling laughter because there's another thing that's in all of that. What about when she says, have you been to a meeting lately? (laughs) That happens too. (laughs) Or that, have you talked to your sponsor lately? (laughs) It's a fact. And it's funny, you know, I got in the mail, the latest grapevine, I believe it's AA and families where it pretty much has the sharings of loved ones of alcoholics. You know, I'm grateful that there's also recovery for family members as well, if they want it. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's a saying, <laughs> we're not here to dry up the world. <laughs> uh, it's in one of the pamphlets. And I'm grateful for the day when I finally said I need help. It took a long time to say those words. We want to hear about that. What got you to that point? Well, a relationship that had gone bad. You know, and uh, of course, my drinking had completely escalated. I was one who drank before every task and after every task for a long, significant amount of time. And of course, as this illness is quite progressive. How long did you drink? From 12 to 30, mm-hmm. uh, 31 years old, which is when I came in, the, in these rooms. <laughs> you know, it got to a point where it was New Year's Eve and it got that whisper in my ear, that ultimatum, like, if you don't stop. I'm out of here. And it scared me. And fear sobered me up, believe it or not. And I was abstinent. I realized that while my behaviors is worse without the alcohol, (laughs) you know, like I need a drink now, but I didn't because that fear of losing something. And it led me before the judge and the judge suggested some things that nudged from the judge. and, uh, And it led me here. And I asked for help with that judge and he gave me the help that I need put me in a direction on the path to recovery. You asked for help with the judge? Yeah, I said, yo, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. Can you help me? Wow. And the courtroom got quiet. (laughs) Absolutely quiet because, you know, I'm I'm pretty much a frequent visitor of the courtrooms there. And they just kind of shocked that, like, wow. (laughs) And, um, but it was that day I was desperate. And uh, it's the greatest gift of them all. Uh, it led me to be on the spiritual path, uh, to reunite with a higher power. <laughs> right. You know, what's going to mind immediately is that judge has had tons of people in front yeah. of them that have tried to blow smoke, you know, trying to manipulate and get out of whatever by saying I need help or something like that. And it sounds from what you just said, it was a real request for help. That's why the room went quiet. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm grateful for it. And I got, I came here running. Like I came here, like, give me basically what you got. I wanted what you had. I wanted what I had experienced on my first meeting in Alcoholics Anonymous. I basically demanded the sponsor at the time. I said, you're going to be my sponsor. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I said, you're going to be my sponsor and tell me what I got to do. Of course, you know, I'm I'm reading the literature because I, 
kind of took this practical approach. Let me learn everything about AA, right? So I had this handful of knowledge, <laughs> I thought, right, of what I needed to do. And I began to direct the sponsor that started on chapter two. Why? Because it says there is a solution and specifically page 25. <laughs> you sound like a tough sponsee. <laughs> I know, but you know, you got to love these sponsors. And she definitely humbled me because she was like, okay, well, we're going to start from the first page. And you know how that first page is blank. And she said, well, this is what you know. <laughs> right. Yes. Because <laughs> I came in there thinking I knew What did you run up on that you didn't want to do? Oh, the God word coming to believe, right? You know, making a decision to turn, turn what over, first of all. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, what is that? And then this concept of going back to my past, you know, these are daunting and frightening aspects. But that sponsor, of course, always brought me back. She said, well, look, you're in the future. Come back to this moment. Begin to feel what's being requested of you in this moment, rather than thinking about the future. And one thing she said, she said, Chase, you know, she, I don't know, she must have knew something. She said, you're not going to stay sober. You need to go get a sponsee. So service probably like two months in, I had a sponsee and I'm like only on like the second step. And then wow. three months in, I had an H&I commitment. Hospitals and institutions. One of the coordinators to a facility relapsed and said, you're the deal now. You're, I need you to be the coordinator for this facility. And then I ended up just evolving into this service oriented individual. I got into general service right away. And that's when I really realized that, well, this isn't even about me. This is bigger. And this is for those that don't even know AA exists, you know, and my purpose became greater. I began to feel that belonging sense that I never felt before in service. So, so six years and you jumped into general service recovery and service and then general service immediately. Let me tell you how general service happened. It was just a bad Thanksgiving. It was horrible. So remember that love I was in love with who told me that ultimatum? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like a year in or so. And it just was not going to happen. So I'm all bummed out. Thought came to my head. Let me go to a marathon meeting. The then GSR was like, um, we need an alternate GSR. And I just raised my hand. I had no idea what it was. I just was like, whatever. Right. She picked me up, took me to my first district meeting. And I tell you, my eyes opened. It was an eye-opener experience. Um, I got my first service manual. Began to dive into that. Um, some folks think it's a dry read. I love dry reads. I love dense material. <laughs> I think Bill Wilson was, a, was an awesome writer. Um, it was just a gift. I, I truly believe this thing is divine. You're the perfect person to be a GSR enthusiastically reading the service manual. That, but I mean, there are those of us who are really well cut out to be in the general service side of things. And there are those of us who hopefully will try it, but it's not a good fit. It's not their jam. For some of us, it is. Yeah, very true. I remember like the very first principle though, too, I've learned was listening without an an opinion. I said- What a principle. Right, I was like, what? You know, <laughs> what? Listen to you all and not have a response. <laughs> I'm supposed to be formulating my response while you're talking. Thank you very much. Yeah, that is a major spiritual principle. It is that I only are learned in service work. Yeah, it's like I'm not unique in the way I think. I can kind of squash that, and and then too, like it helps me to practice restraint. Restraint for like alcoholic like me is necessary. <laughs> 
Right. <laughs> Chase, Thanks, thank Chase. you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's time for the Asket Basket. What's that? That's the name Bill W. gave the basket that was passed around for questions. We want your questions for our guests. General recovery questions, newcomer questions, AA history. Got a question for the Ask It Basket? Go to aagrapevine.org and click on podcast. Paul, it's been a few weeks since you called with a question about the fifth edition of the big book. We thought it best to wait until after the general service conference in April to be as up-to-date as possible. We asked Jen, the delegate from Area 7 in California, who also serves on the literature committee to give us an update. So let's hear Paul's Ask It Basket question. Yeah, hi guys. First of all, thank you so much for the podcast. It's great between the meetings. My name is Paul. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I'm from British Columbia, Canada. Got a quick question about the big book. Just wondering if you know if there's any plans in the works to do a fifth edition, and if so, more of a inclusive language in the book? Uh, just curious. Hi, my name is Jen, and I am an alcoholic, and I have the privilege of serving the California Northern Interior Area 07 as the Panel 72 Delegate and the 73rd General Service Conference Chair on the Conference Committee on Literature. And so to answer Paul's question, there's actually kind of two parts to that. We are currently working on a fifth edition of the big book. This last year, there was a call for stories and we're there were 2,500 stories that were received. And the literature committee, the trustees literature committee is working on slogging their way through all of those. And they are looking at the stories to make sure that the new stories that go into the fifth edition are really diverse. But the first 164 pages, the doctor's opinion, Dr. Bob's stories, all of those are gonna stay the same. And so to answer the question about inclusive language, that is another project that Trustees Literature has been working on for the last few years. Um, and that has to do with a translation of the first 164 pages of the big book into what's called plain language. And if you'll indulge me, I have a great definition of what plain language is. I've been using this as I've um, talked about this project with my area. And so this is from the Plain Language Association International. And it says that a communication is in plain language if its wording, structure, and design are so clear that the intended audience can easily find what they need, understand what they find, and use that information. And isn't that what we want our literature to do? So this, this project is going to take the first 164 pages and put it into more contemporary language that is a little bit easier to digest. And at the 73rd General Service Conference, all of the conference members got to read the first six chapters of the book as a draft form. And that was like so exciting. Um, 
my gratitude leaps out, it leaks out my eyes. And um, <laughs> so like halfway through reading it, I was weeping and, um, you know, ugly crying when I got done with it. But it <laughs> is, you know, it is absolutely the best thing that Alcoholics Anonymous has done since the 12 and 12. You know, I, I can say that, you know, with my entire soul, that I believe that this is just going to be a game changer, you know, oh. for, you know, all of the people um, who try to come to Alcoholics Anonymous and get tripped up with our literature. You know, all of those people who don't have a big book, a sponsor, a dictionary, an encyclopedia to help them get through our book. So that's in process. Jen, how was the plain and simple language translation received across the broad spectrum of all the delegates? So on Friday at the conference, we had a sharing session on the plain language big book. And there were so many delegates who said, I wanted to hate this project, but I couldn't. I read this and I am amazed. There was almost no opposition to it after we read it. Everybody was just kind of blown away by what we read. I am so excited about this, Jen. I got chills as you were describing it, and I haven't seen it. I'm not going to get to see it until everybody else gets to see it. So, Jen, do you have any knowledge about when the fifth edition, when it will be published, and perhaps when the plain language will be published? Well, I'll start with the plain language one, because I can probably give you a slightly better answer on that one. They expect that the initial draft will be completed by this summer. And there have been a few, you know, a few rounds of edits with the writer who's working on the project. And hopefully that that will all be finished by next year's general service conference. So that if the conference and the literature committee feels like they're good with that project, it could be out as soon as next year. So, yeah, wow. that's really exciting, isn't it? Yeah, um, yes. The the Big Book Project, the fifth edition of the Big Book, is probably going to take a little bit longer. This is a record number of stories that we've received. So the Trustees Literature Subcommittee that's working on this, they are having to read through all of these stories and rate them on, you know, a whole bunch of different criteria and that's just going to take a really long time. And that's 2,500 stories. Plus stories, yes. Wow. <laughs> yes, there's, so there's a lot of them. So, um, you know, the initial timeline was to have the book ready for the 2025 International, but I don't know that that's going to happen by then. It will be ready when it's ready. Yes. Well, Jen, thank you so much for answering these questions. And thank you for spending some time with us after your whirlwind of doing the General Service Conference and then your area assembly to report back to the people that you represent Woo. and serve. Wow. It is, you know, an absolute privilege to get to be of service to Alcoholics Anonymous. And so I'm I'm really glad that I had the opportunity to share, you know, some information on both of these projects with you guys. Thank you, Jen. Thank you. It's time for listener feedback. Hey guys, you were spot on. Joy counts. This reminded me of my early years of sobriety. I got sober in a small town in Virginia, and the AA program there was pretty much by the book. After a year of continuous sobriety, I was very enmeshed in the program and was enjoying some of the many blessings I never expected. 
One of those was the opportunity to return to the college that had ungraciously asked me to leave a few years earlier. When I arrived at the meeting the first night in this college town, I was unpleasantly surprised to find that the topic was gratitude. Or I was wondering where the meat was. How was everyone sitting around smiling and talking about how good their lives were going to help me stay sober? I had an aversion to these types of meetings for another couple of years until I did another fourth step with a new sponsor, and he asked me at the end, is there nothing good in your life? That opened up a whole new dimension for me, where gratitude became an integral part of my program. Thanks for the reminder. By the way, I was able to repeat your story about the farmer and his luck, bad luck, in my meeting last night as the topic was about whether happiness is the point. As Bill sees it, page 306. It wasn't quite as impactful since I had to do both voices. <laughs> you guys did a great job with that. Thanks for all you do. Blessings, Brian. Thanks, Brian. I always have the same response when I walk into a gratitude meeting. My initial reaction is, oh, no. <laughs> but then it always turns around for me. See, we got both of our voices in. <laughs> there are a lot more voices in Don's head. What? <laughs> I'm at the very wit's end. Hey, have you heard about the new program for people who overshare in meetings? No, I haven't. It's called On and On and On. <laughs> 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 it's really not that funny. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc. We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org.